and welcome to the 79th episode of the podcast F4. We're calling it that since it's easier to say than food and frightening film fanatics. Before we get started, our usual disclaimer, heavy spoilers ahead, turn back now if you haven't seen these movies. Since last week we briefly talked about Michael Ironside during Prom Night 2, Hello Mary Lou, he played uh, the principal, Billy. Uh, I thought it would be interesting to go over another famous movie that he's in. So this week we're talking about the Scanners franchise. And there are five movies total. I, uh, When I started this, I only knew about the first one, so I didn't even know this was a franchise. So the five movies are the original Scanners from 1981. Uh, these, this franchise was produced in Canada. And uh, last week I was trying to think of what Canadian franchises there were besides Prom Night. I mentioned uh, Ginger Snaps. Of course, I didn't mention Scanners because I didn't know it was a franchise. But the other one I forgot is Cube as well. And I'm sure there's still others that I forgot. And Cube, uh, the Cube franchise we covered in a previous episode. So the original Scanners, 1981, written and directed by David Cronenberg. And we'll talk about more about him a little bit later. Starring Stephen Lack as Cameron Vale, Jennifer O'Neill as Kim Orbrist, Michael Ironside as Daryl Revick, Patrick McGuhan as Dr. Paul Ruth, and music was by Howard Shore. Next up, Scanners 2, The New Order from 1991, so 10 years later. Um, Cronenberg was not involved in any of these movies except for the first one. This one was written by B.J. Nelson, directed by Christian, uh, I think it's Dugway, D-U-G-U-A-Y, starring David Hewitt as David Kellum, and you'll remember him from like, uh, he spent a lot of stuff, Stargate, uh, and a bunch of that stuff. Deborah Raffin as Julie Vale, Ian... Ponton as Commander John Forrester, and Raul, Raul uh, I think it's Trahillo as the bad scanner, Peter Drack. The third movie is Scanner 3, The Takeover from 1992, so that's one year later, and all of these from here forward were direct to video. I thought the second one was direct to video as well, but somebody said it wasn't, so I'm not sure. Uh, so this movie came out one year after the previous one. Again, written by B.J. Nelson, directed again by Christian uh, DeGue, and starring Liliana, I'm going to mess up her last name, of course, Korowska, K-O-R-O-W-S-K-A, as Helena Monet, Valerie Valos as her friend Joyce, and uh, she's also the girlfriend of Alex, the main character, Steve Parrish is Alex, Colin Fox is Helena's father, and there are uh, several people from Scanners 2 in this movie, but they play different roles. So that's it for the sequels. Next up is a spinoff, and it's called Scanner Cop from 1994, so two years later, written, directed, and produced by Pierre David, starring Daniel Quinn as the Scanner Cop Stan... Uh, how do you say his last name? S-T-A-Z-I-A-K. Also starring Darl Ann Flugel as Dr. Joyce Alden, Dr. Joan Alden, Richard Lynch as Carl Glock, and Mark Rolson as Lieutenant Harry Brown. 
And then the last movie is Scanner Cop 2, Vulcan's Revenge. This is also listed in some places as Scanner's The Showdown. That's from 1995, so one year later, written by Mark Sevy, directed by Stephen Barnett, again produced by Pierre David, starring again Daniel Quinn as Sam, and also Patrick uh, Kilpatrick as Carl Vulcan, Christine Hodge as Carrie, and Stephen Mendel as Jim. Where to find these movies? Uh, the first Scanner movie is available on HBO. Two and three are available on both Amazon Prime and Tubi. Uh, YouTube and Google list them at $2 each. The spin-off, Scanner Cop, is free on YouTube. Uh, Scanner, the two Scanner Cop movies are harder to find. And then Scanner Cop 2 is also on YouTube, but there's only a Spanish version there. Um, none of these movies are on Shudder, Netflix, or Hulu. Rotten Tomato scores. The first Scanners, critics gave it a 70%. Audiences gave it a 64%. Scanner 2, not rated by critics. Audiences gave it a 17%. Scanner 3, not rated by critics. Audiences gave it a 18%. Scanner Cop, not rated by critics. Audiences gave it 25%. And lastly, Scanner Cop 2, not rated by critics. Audiences gave it a 34%. So we could see everything, but the original uh, was really rated very low. The plot. First, I'll read what uh, IMDb says briefly and then just talk about the plot. So the first scanner, IMDb says, A scientist sends a man with extraordinary psychic powers to hunt down others like him. So when the movie starts, there's a homeless guy named Cameron. He's in a mall. It's very 1980s looking. And some women are saying bad things about him because he's very... Um, He's eating uh, leftover food somebody left, and he's kind of dirty and all that stuff. So he uses his mind to give the woman a stroke. So we know that he has some sort of psychic powers right off the bat. And then he's chased by some guys through the mall and knocked out. And then he ends up waking up at a company called Consec. So Cameron learns that he's what is called a scanner. There are some 200 and something people in the world that have the same powers as him, including another person that we will meet in a second, Kim, played by Jennifer O'Neill. A scientist named Dr. Ruth wants Cameron to help him find some of the bad scanners, and the head of the bad scanners is Daryl Revick, played by, again, Michael Ironside. He wants to create an army of scanners to take over the world. And... Consec wants to use the scanners for their own purposes because they're a military uh, and, uh, I think, technology company. In the end, it turns out that Dr. Ruth is actually a bad guy. He injected his wife with the drug ephemeral. Um, hopefully I said that right. And it was supposed to be used as a sedative with pregnant women, and then they were going to... Uh, market it to everybody else in the country. So this was the test before they did that. And it turns out that scanners are a side effect of that drug. And most scanners die from their side effects, um, but Cameron and Revick um, and a few others managed to survive, and uh, they have to take ephemeral in 
uh, daily in order to keep from hearing voices and going crazy. And it also turns out that Cameron and Revick are brothers and they are Dr. Ruth's children. So they were part of that original experiment. In the end, there's a psychic battle between Cameron and Revick. And it looks like Cameron is killed, but he's not. He actually, Kim comes into the room. She finds his body and it's like uh, kind of like clay, like skeletalized on the ground. She thinks he's dead, but nope. Actually, Revick says that he's Cameron and he has won. So Cameron has taken over Revick's body. And we can tell because uh, his voice has changed and the color of his eyes has changed to what Cameron had. Cameron has very distinctive uh, colored eyes. So that's the first movie. Scanner 2, The New Order, IMDb says, A scanner discovers a plot by renegade elements in the city government to take power with the help of evil scanners. This time around, a vet tech named David heads into the city to continue his schooling, and he ends up in the middle of a store robbery. He kills one of the robbers by making his head explode. And then police commander John Forrester sees the tape and wants to use David as part of his own plot. And he wants David to control the mayor's mind in order to make him the chief of police. And he thinks he needs to do all of this in order to instill a law and order in the city. We meet another bad scanner named David Drack. And he's much more aggressive than... uh, Peter Drack, sorry, and he's much more aggressive than David. And David finds out he... Eventually that he is adopted and... His parents are actually Cameron and Kim from the first movie. He also finds out he has a previously unknown sister named Julie, and she's also a scanner. Julie has lost her boyfriend, Walter, and he is being held as a guinea pig by Forrester uh, to test uh, the effects of the drugs on scanners. And in the final scene, uh, Drac tries to blow up David's brain, but all the patients um, get loose that were being held, including Walter, and they band together to save him. So they have a big psychic fight, and Drake is reduced to a freaky-looking skeleton. Forrester arrives at the building, but the press is following him, and he tries to kill David, but that doesn't work. And then David says that, Um, to the press that all the scanners just want to live in peace. They don't mean any harm to anyone. So that was the second movie. Third movie, Scanners 3, The Takeover. IMDb says, A young female scanner turns from a sweet young thing into a murderous power-crazed villain after she takes the experimental drug developed by her father. Um, Her brother, who's also a scanner, is the only one powerful enough to stop her. So this time around, we have two people who were adopted as children by the head of Monet um, Pharmaceuticals, and he developed a drug called F3. Uh, They previously experimented with F1 and F2. That didn't work so well, so they're down to F3, and it's a patch that is worn behind the the ear of a scanner in order to counter-effect the side effects of them being a scanner. So he brings a briefcase of these home. Helena is not supposed to use them because they're experimental and he doesn't know about the side effects, but she does. And as I previously said, that turns her from a quiet person into a crazy person who wants to take over the world. Meanwhile, um, her brother, 
who was also adopted by this guy. Uh, they were at a party at the beginning of the movie, and he was showing showing off his scanner abilities, and he accidentally um, shoved a guy over a balcony and caused him to die. So he went to a monastery in Tibet. And uh, one of the guys um, that works with his father went to Tibet, not Tibet, Thailand, went to Thailand and told him that uh, bad things are happening with his sister and that he needs to come back. So he comes back, and of course they end up having a uh, big fight, and um, he ends up, she, in the end, she is trying to use her scanner ability to control everybody in the world through a tv broadcast so he is able to finally control her mind but then in the end she ends up inside one of the cameras so whatever that means um, but that's how that movie ends and spinoff scanner cop imdb says sam a rookie cop with the la police department is also a scanner when a um String of murders begins to decimate the police department. Sam faces sensory overload and possible insanity as he uses his powers to hunt the man responsible for the killings. So Sam was adopted as a child by a cop named Harry when he and his partner went to check on Sam's father, who was a scanner, and he was off his meds and going crazy, and they ended up killing him. And then uh, instead of leaving Sam at the psych hospital, Harry took him home, and he and his wife adopted him. So in this one, somebody starts killing cops, and they don't know why, because uh, it's just like regular citizens. And then it turns out someone is causing them to have hallucinations that are triggered by... First, police uniforms, and then after that, they move on to badges. So it causes the person to see something like a horrible giant insect or a monster or something, and then they kill the person. So Sam tracks the activity to a psychic shop, and it turns out this guy named Glock, who was previously a neurosurgeon and has a past with the police, including Sam's father. He escaped a mental hospital and is now seeking revenge on all cops and Sam's father especially. Um, so this guy can basically get anybody to do what he wants him to do. So there's a final showdown in the operating room. Uh, and Glock is trying to kill Jim who is being operated on. And Sam sees him and runs in the room and then they have a psychic fight. And, uh, of course, Sam ends up winning and blowing Glock's head up. So that's the end of Glock. And then lastly, uh, depending on what you want to call it, Scanner Cop 2 or Scanners the Showdown, IMDb says a demonic scanner terrorizes L.A. and the only person who can stop him may not have the neurons for the job. So this is the only movie with a recurring character. So Sam is back, and this time he is hunting an evil and powerful scanner named Carl Vulcan. And he has a previous uh, past with Vulcan because Vulcan and his brother were, like, robbing a house, and Sam tried to stop him and killed the brother and then sent Vulcan to a psych hospital. And then Vulcan broke out, and, of course, now he is seeking revenge. So Vulcan... Uh, basically goes around and sucks the life out of a whole bunch of other scanners. Um, 
which is uh, pretty gnarly looking. And he also uh, decides that he is going after Sam's mother, who is in a retirement home. But before he can kill her, she jumps uh, off a balcony and ends up dying. So then Sam then chases him to a warehouse. And, of course, they have the final battle. And it should come as no surprise that Sam makes Carl's head explode. And that's the end of that story. On to trivia, future developments. Uh, there was at one point somewhere around, I think, 2007 and then again 2011, talk of a remake directed by Darren Lynn Bolsman, who directed Saw 2, 3, and 4, but that never materialized. Oh, and here's the thing about 2011. There was talk of a TV series, but again, nothing came of that. David Cronenberg has done lots of other movies, He's probably the most famous Canadian filmmaker and is primarily known for body horror. So besides Scanners, which is one of his lesser-known movies, he has done um, The Fly, Crash, The Brood, Chilvers, Rabid, Videodrome, The Dead Zone, Dead Ringers, etc. The first Scanners movie, it should come as no surprise that most of the trivia is about that one. Uh, the Crash Scene in the Record Store prominently featured a float hanging from the ceiling for the RSO Robert Stigwood Organization record label who paid for this placement. By the time the film was released, RSO had gone out of business. A early treatment from 1976 entitled uh, Telepathy 2000 takes place in the future, uh, begins with a protagonist who is named something Quinn, who telepathically rapes a woman in the subway and is said as a spy movie. In this version, a company called Cytodyne Amalgamate was breeding evil scanners to take over the world, and the U.S. government was employing good scanners to stop them. David Cronenberg once called this the most frustrating movie he had ever made. The film was rushed to production. Filming had to begin without a finished script, and end roughly two months later so that financing would qualify as a tax write-off, forcing Cronenberg to write and shoot at the same time. Cronenberg also cited difficulty uh, between some of the leads, including Patrick McGuhan and Jennifer O'Neill. So uh, I think that's probably one of the issues with the pace and continuity of the movie is as it was just written as they were going so there was no overarching idea of where uh, the movie was going so it just kind of there's many scenes where not much is happening William S. Burroughs 1959 novel Naked Lunch contains a chapter concerning Cinders a hostile group of telepaths bent on world domination a clear literary inspiration for this film, Cronenberg would later direct a film version of Naked Lunch in 1991. In February 2007, as already said, Daryl Lynn Bozeman announced the director of the remake to be released by the Weinstein Company and Dimension Film. David S. Gover was assigned to write the script. We've talked about him previously. Um, but the date came and went. All parties involved since moved on to other projects. In an interview with Boseman in 2013, he recalls that he would not make the movie, the movie without Cronenberg's blessing, which was never granted. 
David Cronenberg moved the famous head explosion scene from the beginning of the film to like 15 minutes in so that late moviegoers wouldn't miss it and so they wouldn't have like the best scene in the movie at the very beginning. Um, let's see, here's a interview with uh, Stephen Lack for film comment about uh, the pressure of having to get everything right because they were on such a tight time schedule and how somebody actually got killed um, in a car accident and how the camera crew went off to do that and then that gave him a little bit of extra time to rep- to uh, prepare. Um, I think I'm going to say it later in here, but Stephen Lack was not an actor. He was a painter, and I think Cronenberg hired him because he liked the color of his eyes. And um, he, uh, yeah, I, th- I think uh, probably this movie would have benefited with a different person in the lead. Uh, the drug ephemeral bears an eerie similarity to real-life scandal in the late 1950s of women who had taken uh, thalidomide. Um, during pregnancy, and it was marketed as a relief for morning sickness, and it began when they began giving birth to children who were suffering from, I can't say this, phocomalia, that means they had uh, very short limbs, and other physical deformities. Robert A. Silverman, who played the artist Benjamin Pierce, also appeared in Cronenberg's Rabid uh, from 77, The Brood from 79, Naked Lunch from 91, and Existence Z from 1999. Um, He is one of several people there's a chart uh, on Wikipedia of rec- people who play different characters in various Cronenberg movies. The Life magazine that Rivick shows Veil during their discussion at the end of the movie from 1946, the prop is an actual issue. Rivick opened it to page 3738. Um, the ephemeral ad is pasted over an ad for Bendix Radios. Michael Ironside was originally hired for a bit part of one or two scenes and was paid $5,300. This was the nearest thing to a conventional science fiction thriller Cronenberg had made up to that point, lacking the sexual content of Shivers, Rabid, or The Brood. It was also his most profitable film until The Fly, which was six years later. Stephen Lack, billed as Stephen, S-T-E-V-E-N, Lack instead of S-T-E-P-H-E-N, who played Camonville, is now a successful and prolific painter. Yep, here's where I had mentioned this earlier. Had no previous acting experience before this movie. Uh, Yeah. Top-billed Jennifer O'Neill does not appear until 37 minutes into the movie. And her part is uh, much less than uh, either Lack or Ironside. Dr. Ruth tells Vell that he founded Biocarbon Amalgamate in 1942. Patrick McGuhan, who plays Dr. Ruth's character, uh, would have been 14 years old at that time. Kim Orbist was named after the producer's assistant. Um, 
There's a big long article in here about Roger Ebert. He gave the film two stars. He, he praised the special effects, but said Cronenberg failed to involve the audience in the telekinetic scanner's plot. Um, so I'm not going to read the rest of that. It's too long. There was also uh, another movie called Altered States that had a similar plot. Um, he says, I don't think... Uh, let's see, where is the beginning of this? It was released at almost the same time as Altered States, another horror movie that was being linked with Scanners in some reviews. I don't think they're comparable. I think Altered States cost many millions more than Scanners, but it's not that different difference that matters on the level of the technical credits. Scanner is a fully qualified thriller. What matters is that Altered States involves the characters and experiences that we believe for the length of the movie were really happening to them versus um, Scanners, not so much. This film is available as part of the uh, Criterion Collection, number 712. And most people, including me, don't know that this movie was part of a franchise that lasted almost 20 years. The effects of the exploding head scene were accomplished by filling a latex head of an actor with dog food, leftover lunch, fake blood, and rabbit livers, and shooting it from behind with a 12-gauge shotgun. More on that later. Production stills exist of shots in the final duel between Cameron and Revick, where the top of Cameron's head explodes, sending sparks into the air. Apparently, this climax was filmed by Cronenberg, but he chose to admit it from the final print. For the scene where Daryl is set on fire and um, he was wearing a fake contact lenses that made his eyes all white, and these were the same contact lenses worn by Dustin Hoffman uh, and Little Big Man in 1970. Now for Scanner 2, the new order. To appease the MPAA, which was particularly critical of horror movies during this era, the filmmakers shot several variations of scenes to enable them to create R-rated, unrated, and TV edits of the film. The veterinarian professor at the beginning of the film is Victor Knight, who previously starred in the original Scanner as Dr. Frayne, the doctor who gets interrupted by Cameron Bell, making him the only actor from the original film to return in this sequel, but as a different character. Uh, the makeup and effects supervisors from the original film were asked to participate in this, but they were unavailable. The milk factory, Minotti Milk Products, is named after Nicola Minotti, the film's production accountant. During the shoot, the crew braved freezing temperatures, which bottomed out at 40 below and caused them to shut down production for a day. The power ballad, Mind to Mind, that plays during the end credits, was written and produced by legendary Canadian hair band, Alda Nova, better known for their hit single, Fantasy. Sorry, never heard of them. Uh, this movie had a budget of $5 million. The veterinary school where David attends is called Sir Godwick Gibbons Veterinary School and was named after the director of photography, Rodney Gibbons. Uh, the guy that plays Lieutenant Gilson previously starred in Shivers. Uh, obviously, it's a Cronenberg movie. And this movie was filmed over the course of two months. 
Next, Scanner 3, The Takeover. A few actors from Scanner 2, The New Order, made appearances in this entry. For instance, Jason Cavalier from New Order um, is here, plays a punk leader. A screenshot of Dr. Morris, Tom Butler, being scanned by Drake. And Scanners 2, The New Order, can be seen on the TV monitors when Alex walks into the control room at the ASN studio. The end credits has no music, and this movie was shot in nine weeks. It was called Scanner Force in the UK. This is the first Scanner movie to have a female villain. And she is actually uh, the wife of the film's director, Christian Dugway, D-U-G-U-A-Y, and he uh, directed this in Scanners 2. Now, Scanner Top, Scanner Cop. Directorial debut for producer Pierre David, Scanner Cop, and Scanners The Showdown. Both have been released on DVD in Canada, but not in the U.S. That's all I have on that one. Then Scanner 2, um, this is the only... Scanner sequel to have a returning character, as I said previously. Scanner Cop 2 was released on DVD in Canada under the Scanners the Showdown title. So, and it's listed uh, in IMDb uh, as that, so uh, it's a little confusing. Alan Corman, who played the doctor at the police station, previously starred in Shivers. So that's really it for the trivia. Why should you watch these movies? Well, Scanners has the most famous exploding head scene in cinema. So this is the, you know, many people have tried to uh, imitate it, but this is the original scene uh, from the original Scanners movie. Um, there are lots of gifts going around about this, so expect to get at least one exploding head or more per movie. But the first one still holds up today, um, I think, in terms of special effects. Um, I, I mean, in terms of practical effects and how it looks. Um, but other than that, this is really not a horror franchise. I think these more as thrillers. Um, besides the exploding heads, there's not... Uh, and some veins popping out and some charcoal uh, bodies... After they've been scanned, there's really nothing horror going on in these. The plot is basically the same in all the movies. The good scanner, the lead character, ends up going against the bad character and making his head explode in the end. Uh, another interesting thing about this franchise is that the villains, in most cases, are more interesting than the good guys. So in the original, we have Michael Ironside, who's always more interesting usually than the people he's playing opposite of and in scanner two we have Raul um, Trujillo hey, I thought he was really good and you've also seen him in other things um, what's uh Apocalypto um, he's been in tons of stuff so I thought he was very good and then the third movie there's a female scanner she was way over the top but she was fun to watch I thought and then the Scanner Cop, the first one, we have Richard Lynch. And he has a very long career playing all sorts of villains. I won't even go into them, but uh, these very extensive um, list of credits. And then Scanner Cop 2, I can't remember what that guy's name is. But he was a pretty good villain as well. 
So I like the villains. I was actually rooting for the villains in these movies because I like them better. Um, because this is about people with psychic abilities, a vast majority of this film is just looking at people making menacing faces while trying to control each other's mind and make each other's head explode. So that's a disadvantage of filming this kind of plot. Um, I'd say if you are a Cronenberg completionist, obviously you'll want to watch the first movie. I'd say skip the rest of the movies. Or if uh, you just want to see an example of a Cronenberg movie, I would suggest something else instead of this. Uh, maybe The Fly, uh, Dead Zone, Dead Ringers instead. Now on to Recipe. Since these are Canadian movies, I just want to include a few foods from Canada. I know we've done Canadian foods before, but I don't think we've gone over the things I'm going to mention here. This is from an article from Food Network. Uh, .ca, so I'll include that in the notes. So I just want to include a few things that seem to be uh, specific to uh, Canada that we don't necessarily know about in the U.S. The first one up is barnacles. I know what a barnacle is, but I didn't think you could eat them. Uh, with the flavor somewhere between crab and clam, gooseneck barnacles are harvested by hand in British Columbia year-round, and several Vancouver restaurants serve this colorful Delicacy. Fiddleheads. Found in the forests of eastern Canada in early spring, these budding fern fronds have a short, sweet season. The bright green spirals are full of fresh, delicate spring flavor and are best enjoyed steamed or simply sautéed with butter. So I knew what fiddleheads were, but I didn't know you could eat them. Um, I think it's Dulce, D-U-L-C-E. This bright, rubbery seaweed is harvested on both the Pacific and Atlantic coasts and is a booming business for some communities as seaweed becomes more popular. Salty, a little smoky, and a little nutty, the red seaweed can be eaten fresh or dried and makes a particular tasty Caesar ingredient. Here's a strange one. Fried cod tongues. So you would think that this is the tongue of the fish, the cod, but actually it's a, the tongue is a small muscle um, extracted from the back of the fish's neck that is connected to the tongue, I guess. So go figure. Uh, this is also a Norwegian delicacy. You've heard of maple syrup. This is birch syrup. Like maple, birch syrup is produced by tapping the sap from the birch tree and boiling it into a deeply flavored sweetener with hints of honey, caramel, and molasses. It's most popular in Ontario, Manitoba, and Quebec. And then two meat dishes, moose. Moose hunting is common in many communities across Canada, including parts of Newfoundland, Ontario, Alberta, and British Columbia. Moose meat has a flavor similar to beef, but it's very lean, meaning it is best when slow-cooked, stewed in sausage, or ground with a little bit of fat and served as a burger. And caribou. Hunted enjoyed in many northern regions, caribou is a lean meat with little fat and big flavor. One of the classic ways to enjoy caribou meat is slow-cooked stew, but a quick pan sear will do just fine. So as I said, I'll include the link to those in the notes. Um, I would be interested to try uh, barnacles, the dulce. I like, I like seaweed and the fiddleheads.
So I'll report back if I ever try those. Uh, where to find us? We're on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. Please give us a five-star rating if you like what you're hearing. We need all the help we can get. We're also on Twitter at Food and Fright. Contact us by email at foodandfright at gmail.com or check out our website at foodandfrighteningfilmfanatics.podbean.com. So that's it for this week. Uh, I will say, watching all five of these movies at once, uh, I thought my head was going to explode. Uh, it's just too much to do at one time, and it has a, such a very similar plot. So, But I got through it. Not going through those again anytime soon. Um, and we'll see what we have next week. Hopefully I'm working on uh, top 10 horror movies of 2020. So I'm going through all the movies I haven't seen so far. I still have a few to go. But uh, hopefully that will be ready by next week. So until then, until then, stay safe. Uh, remember to wear a mask and social distance. And we will talk to you next week. And happy holidays. Bye.